Hi, everyone. I'm Kyle Bechet, and this is the AAF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum, where experts provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. We are again talking about the COVID-19 uh, pandemic with AAF's President Douglas Holtz-Aiken. Doug, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me back. You've had a busy couple of days with after you know your Meet the Press hit, and then now it seems like you're on TV almost every other day. Um, we've actually been on, uh, or will be on, um, five times in four days, so pretty busy. There you go. Um, so thanks for taking the time and, and coming to talk to us. So we're recording this on Thursday, obviously, and then um, the government will drop the uh, jobs numbers tomorrow. The April jobs report comes out tomorrow. We already know that this is going to be bad based on the preliminary estimates and the fact that you know the economy has largely been shut down the last uh, month and a half. How should we think about the April jobs numbers? So the the likely job loss, I think, is going to be 21 million in the month of, of April. And so, you know, as usual, these numbers are just off the scale compared to anything in our history. Um, I went back and looked. Uh, we once lost 1.9 million jobs uh, in a month, but that was part of the post-World War II um, demilitarization and pretty special circumstances. Uh, the next worst month was 838,000. So we get under the millions, the thousands. That was in October of 1949, uh, which was also the same month that the unemployment rate jumped by 1.3 percentage points. So October 1949 is the worst month on in the numbers prior to April 2020. April 2020, 21 million jobs, you know, so much bigger. And then the real question becomes, where will those people show up? We know they're not going to be working. It may be that they continue to look for work, in which case they will be classified as unemployed and the unemployment rate will just jump from 4.4 to 17.2. Or they may show up as just having given up and having left the labor force, in which case the unemployment rate will still you know, be at 5% or lower. That'll seem weird, but it'll, it will be because the uh, labor force participation rate plummets by about 8 percentage points. So you know, they're not going to be working. It's a very big number. The only mystery to be resolved uh, when the numbers come out is where do they show up? Mm -hmm. So I know a lot of employees have been furloughed. How does that does that play into this number at all? Are, are those people part of this unemployment rate? They'll they'll count as uh, not being at work, and okay. if they are um, looking for work, and or you know they're they're looking to go back to their job, they'll count as unemployed. Um, most of those furloughed workers at least if in recent polling, expect to go back to their previous employer. We'll see if those expectations are fulfilled or not. Gotcha. So part of the CARES Act was this part of the bill that actually paid employers to keep their employees on the payroll, um, yet we're still seeing these horrific numbers. Does that mean Congress's pay, uh, payroll protection program isn't working, or would the numbers be much worse without that program? So this is 20% of the labor force that will be unemployed. Um, and we know that 11% of employment, half of the number, was uh, in airlines, hotels, uh, casinos, and other amusements, um, restaurants, bars. None of those had a fighting chance of staying on the on the payroll in the absence of uh, sort of active government help. And so, as a going in proposition, half of it was baked. 
if the if the the massive effort by CARES took care of a lot of people, this could have been much much worse. And and you know we just don't know uh, for sure how big that assistance has been in keeping people on the job. Mm-hmm. So how, how do you think Washington will respond to what uh, we know is going to be the terrible April jobs report? I mean, Congress always wants to seem to do something when when there's you know bad things happen. And maybe the better question is how should Congress respond and what are their options? Well, I think this will be a, a big number, but I don't think it will be news. Yeah, I think by now, if you've watched the weekly unemployment insurance claims at six and six and then five and four and three, you know, if you don't know there's a big number out there, you really haven't been paying attention. And my, my expectation is members of Congress know very well that tomorrow's going to have a very big number. And that's uh, not a call for them to do something on Saturday. That's that's a, a call for them to recognize that the job's not done, that they they took the first step. And and what I think was the weirdly enough, the easiest step, because it was clear what you needed to do. You needed to th- literally throw money at the problem. We need to provide a lot of liquidity to a lot of businesses and people to keep them afloat during a period when economic activity was simply not allowed to happen. That That isn't analytically that hard. And they did it. And they did it on a big scale, and I think they should be congratulated. They did the right thing quickly. Now comes the harder part, which is as we open more of the economy, and it troubles me when this discussion is framed in terms of closed versus open because we've never fully closed it. We we have essential businesses. We have essential workers. And and so the issue is how much more can we open up and where? And that answer is going to be different across the, the country. And as we do that, how do we keep those uh, people safe to engage in production and commerce? That's that's an important part of the conversation. And for policymakers, how do you support that process? That's different from let's just wrap this whole economy in a blanket of liquidity, get it through the worst. Now you have a tougher problem, which is across the country, it's going to be different. And across industries, it'll be different. People are trying to reopen. They're trying to get going. What's the right thing to do to support that? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a perfect transition into my, the next section of what I had prepared here, which is, so let's talk about policymakers and how they should be thinking about the next step in getting the economy back on track. In your recent dish, I think it was your Wednesday dish, you argued that federal policy should become more targeted moving forward as some businesses will start to fail. And in some cases, entire industries will need to restructure. Would you uh, explain a bit about your thoughts here and how policymakers might better focus on any future assistance packages? So I'll give you a very uh, concrete example, which is uh, the Federal Reserve's lending programs. So it's it's, a Main Street uh, lending program. Uh, As people who've read my work and have listened to these podcasts know, I've been fairly critical of the way those were structured from the beginning. The notion was that when they passed the CARES Act, the Congress said, you, the Treasury, get half a trillion dollars to, to support lending by the Fed, by which I think they mean you get to lose up to half a trillion dollars on loans that the Fed issues. And the President of the United States signed that. And so to me, that says they should have quickly started issuing loans that were going to lose some money. But, they, but in the process, they were doing what I thought needed to happen, which we're going to give everybody the money as fast as we could. Now it's different, right? Going forward, Maybe not instantly today, but less every day the old CARES approach and more every day uh, a different approach. You should set it up like it's a credit program. You should make sure that 
anyone can apply, but when they apply, they have to post collateral. They have to say, I have this uh, to, as, as backing against the loan. And that'll be a way to distinguish between those borrowers who are doomed to never repay because their businesses cannot survive in the new environment versus those borrowers who can repay. And, and I, you know, the loan should be on generous terms and this should be a way to help people get credit who otherwise couldn't, but you cannot simply let the money go out the door anymore. You have to recognize that the economics are going to change probably in the theater industry for certain in the airline industry. They're already doing it. Uh, pretty sure that you're going to think about, you know, uh, hotels differently, at least for a while. So, so, you know, we, we can let the, the, the economics take care of itself. Those people who are successful enough to hold on to their collateral, have some revenue streams, those are the ones you want to support. And, and the ones that can't, um, that's where you want to make sure that you have help for the workers in those, those places to get jobs elsewhere in the economy. Mm -hmm. Moving it on to what is hopefully some good news. Um, we all need some good news right now as some states are beginning to reopen their economies. Um, how's that going from what you've seen? Well, I, I think the, the tension has been uh, between those more concerned about the public health and uh, spread of the virus, uh, additional cases uh, versus, you know, do, we want to get people back to work. And, and so, as I said earlier, uh, there isn't a hard and fast line where you say go or don't go. I think you say these things can happen at this time in this location. So we'll let you um, reopen your restaurant, but you can have only 25% of the seats filled and you have to have distance. You know, it's, it's, it's going to be less than just turn it all back on. That seems to be happening. What the jury is out on, I think, is what has been the epidemiology of that, of those actions. And, and I think it's been too short a time to tell the, the, there was one way to, to sort of state the, the public health objective, and that was let's do things that flatten the curve and make sure that the hospital system in particular and the medical um, uh, industry in general doesn't get overwhelmed by the, the pandemic. We met that. Uh, we then also started to ask more of it, say, okay, we don't want to just flatten it and then have the, the survival. We want it going down and if, with, with a path to eradication of the transmission and then you know we're, we're done um if in the limit you say we don't reopen until that that is accomplished like we literally have no more transmission well then we've seen in one month the enormous economic cost that's that's a bar that's probably way too high and so the right place is in between somewhere and and i think we're just trying very hard to, to figure out where that place is mm -hmm. but I, I i think we're in the right zone and we just got to fine tune it Right, a realistic place to put the to put the goalposts. Yeah. One of the other issues that I remember us talking about a couple of weeks ago was with reopening the economies is states getting people off of the unemployment and back into work. Are you seeing any issues with that in the recent weeks? Is there any flags that you that you see there? So for those who follow this issue, the the issue has been um, when they did the unemployment insurance for the pandemic, they did three things. Uh, one, they lengthened the time that you can receive it for up to 39 weeks instead of 26. Two, they allowed people not normally eligible to qualify. So self-employed individuals and independent contractors are now eligible to get UI, and they couldn't in most circumstances. And then three, the federal government added a bump of $600 per week uh, to the state unemployment insurance benefit. 
that $600 a week is the labor market incentive issue because that's $15 an hour for a 40-hour work week. Uh, that means many people, over 70 million people probably, are going to make more on UI than they would if they went back to work. And how can you reopen in those circumstances successfully? It's also true that it makes it very hard for those individuals who are trying to run their business and qualify for these uh, PPP loans because the condition for loans, you have to bring back the people you laid off. And if you keep saying, please come back, and they keep saying, no, you can't qualify for the terms of the loan forgiveness, and it gets in the way of everything. Georgia, as it reopened, uh, issued a rule that said, if you make less than $300 a week, you may keep your unemployment insurance benefits if you go back to work. So that just says, okay, there's a lot of money on the table, but it gets to travel with you if you take a job. That's an incentive to go get uh, reemployed, and that's a recognition that this is a big deal. They did not feel that they could possibly reopen without doing something. We'll see what other states are forced to do to, to address this same issue, because a lot of states are making at least partial efforts to get things going again. Mm -hmm. um, as we're talking about specific states, uh, I live here in D.C., you work here in D.C., you live right across the, the river um, in Virginia. I saw that the D.C. mayor is putting together a committee to reopen D.C. If 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 you were on this reopening committee, um, what would you be looking at in terms of what we need to do before we reopen either partially or fully? I, I think we know the trade-offs. You, you'd want to have good evidence on the cases that per day, the new cases that are being detected, and that would mean that you have to have a good public health surveillance system so that you identify them. And then you'd want to look at um, sort of what happens to those cases in terms of just sickness durations uh, and, and fatalities. Um, and, and you'd want to, you know, have, have leveled that thing off and it'd be great if it's going down. So that's, that's the first thing. Second, in D.C., uh, I think you get two very particular um, uh, issues. Um, D.C. Has its, it has its regions. Some regions are residential, and there are, are, are a couple of those. But a big chunk of D.C., where we work, is largely commuters, not people who live in D.C., and also tourist attractions. People are going to be coming in. And so we have essentially zero issue in the, the region around the office of transmission by the, the, the resident population. They're, they're elsewhere. We're going to have to worry about what are conditions in the entire United States? Because when they fly in, that's what's going to matter if they fly in, big if they're in state. And what's going on in Maryland and Virginia? Because that's where a big chunk of the workforce for D.C. resides. And so I think some coordination across Virginia, D.C. and Maryland is going to be the key to, to a successful strategy on that front. Um, I would like to report that there, there's been a visible uh, commission set up in all three and that they're talking, but I can't report that. I don't know if they're doing this or not. Hope so. Gotcha. Um, and what about this theory of a V-shaped recovery? I mean, the administration talks about this all the time. You wrote, you wrote about it in your dish. Uh, we've talked about it before. But what do you think the recovery will look like? Well, I mean, the, the theory of the V-shaped recovery is pretty simple. It says that you have the the pandemic, which forces everything to stop, but there's no real lasting damage, and the policy is successful in preserving the business operations. And then the pandemic's gone, and you, know, you just turn it back on. That's the V-shaped recovery story. And uh, it's the, the logic is impeccable. 
Unfortunately, I, I don't think we'll see that because, A, um, there is going to be some lasting damage. I, I, I find it difficult to believe that that list of industries that I went through before, airlines, restaurants and, and, and bars and uh, movie theaters and you know casinos, I, I think there's going to be some lasting damage to their economic prospects and their employment possibilities. And so that takes some edge off of it. And I don't think we're going to have an episode of the pandemic. I think it's quite likely, given everything we read, that we're going to have additional incidents in the future. And so if you have a V-shaped recovery that's starting and you whack it, uh, and it goes down again and comes up and you whack it, you get yourself a W, and then you get yourself something that looks like my signature, and pretty soon you get something that takes a while to recover, right? It's just bouncing around. And I, and I think that's a reasonable expectation. It's going up, but, but it, you know, there's some headwinds as you go. Mm -hmm. Okay. Finally, on you know, similar note, um, as we move forward and more states begin to reopen, how quickly do you uh, foresee the jobs numbers getting better? So um, I, I once made myself really unpopular in Syracuse, New York, when I was uh, on the economics faculty at Syracuse, because I was asked um, what Syracuse had going for it as a place uh, for commerce in the future. And I said, oh, it's great because everything that could go wrong already has. There's nothing left. Well, once you've had April, May has to be better, right? I mean, we, we're not going to see 21 million more jobs lost. And so by definition, we're going to get better. Um, what you'd like to see is the 21 turn into small negative numbers quickly and then into positives. Um, most of the forecasts that I have seen by people who do this for a living and you know are studying the numbers very carefully show growth in the third quarter. So that's July, August, September. So that's that says that the jobs numbers ought to improve relatively quickly. We ought to be seeing that in a couple of months. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, anything fun on the docket for the weekend? Um, well, tonight is Zoom birthday party for uh, Andrew. Um, so that'll be exciting. Uh, mm -hmm. He's out in Seattle. And so we would be apart anyway. But now we will uh, have a Zoom birthday party. And uh, so I've now had a Zoom wedding and a Zoom birthday party uh, in the past two weeks. Uh, uh, this weekend, I, I have my usual just, um, you know, it's it's really a gauntlet of, of Zoom wine tastings that I just have to survive. And so <laughs> we'll, we'll do those and see you on Monday. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm actually looking forward on Sunday to watching uh, that the new TV show that just came back out, Billions. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's with Paul Giamatti and Damian Lewis. It's one of my favorite shows on TV, and I'm glad that it's finally back. So I have something to do on Sunday besides, you know, nothing. So I am I am sure that um, all of the exchange listeners wish nothing but your happiness. So congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. And I sure. look forward to our continued discussions about COVID-19 and its economic impact. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tune back in for our next episode, where our experts will provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic issues. I'd also encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes, and also follow us on social media to learn more about AAF. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play.